Hello, this is Robert Rickover at Body Learning. And today my guest is Jean Doe Massoero, who is an Alexander Technique teacher, teacher in Montpelier, uh, France. I probably have that pronounced incorrectly. He's been a teacher for quite some time, and he has a long-standing interest in the connections between the Delsart method and the Alexander Technique. Uh, Jean Doe, welcome to the show. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> can you hear me okay? Yes, I can hear you. Perfect. Great. Um, could you begin by telling our listeners a little about your interest in uh, the Del Delsart and the Delsart method and why and what the and what the uh, connections are between Delsart and Alexander, the historical connections? Yeah, can do that. Well, to understand my interest in the Delsart system, you have to know that I, I, I'm a student of Alexander's books. I translated the four books when I, was, uh, when I was in school in England, when I trained as an Alexander teacher. And uh, my interest in the books has always been fired by one question. And that question is very simple. How did he do it? What I mean by that is um, we know that Alexander had faulty sensory appreciation. We know that uh, he had uh, multiple habits, bad habits and of use. And then one day he decided to change and he was able to do so. Well, that's what the myth says. Mm -hmm. So when I translated Alexander, I was uh, in fact looking for clues as uh, the method, uh, what, what was the system to bypass faulty sensory appreciation without, uh, well, any help? Mm -hmm. So I had to study the beginning of the Alexander Technique. And uh, um, when one day reading article and lecture, a very good book by Jean Fischer, I found out that uh, Alexander, when he started to teach, started to teach the Delsart system. Mm -hmm. This is on his business uh, card. Mm -hmm. and, and it's uh, reproduced in that book. Yeah. yeah. And so um, I started to, well, inquire into the Delsart system. And um, I was not very successful at first because uh, the history of the Delsart system is in itself quite interesting. Delsart was a Frenchman. He was uh, a teacher of uh, voice and uh, he, in fact, created, uh, in order to solve voice, voices problem, he created what he called a gestural training system. He's, he found out that uh, you couldn't cure the voice directly. You couldn't, uh, in fact, go for uh, the vocal apparatus and, and make changes because this apparatus is dependent on the rest of the body. So um, there was, of course, a link between the two techniques. There is, it's very clear. But what happened is that Mr. Delsart, it's called François Delsart, uh, was born in 1811, 
and was uh, well died in 1871. This man didn't leave any written uh, books. In fact, he didn't publish. Mm. So all I could find of Delsart for quite a long time was only uh, books by his followers. And he had so many, so many followers that you can imagine that uh, the original ideas have been transformed and diluted uh, a lot. So there are two um, kinds of information you can find nowadays on the Delsart system. One is called the Delsartism. Or sometimes I call it the Delsart mania, because at the end of uh, the 18th century, beginning of the 19th century, everybody in the world was interested in this gestural training. And so Delsartism is uh, very far away from the Alexander Technique. It's quite clear that, uh, for example, Walter Carrington, I remember in uh, an interview with Sean Curry, says that, well, of course, the, uh, Alexander had some knowledge of uh, Delsart, but it's not, very, it's not very interesting. It's a very crude method. Well, he was talking about Delsartism. And uh, we know that by now because in 2009, a French mm, gentleman, as an academic, has published the original manuscripts from Delsart. Because if Delsart never published anything, he wrote extensively on his method, on his pedagogy, mm -hmm. on everything. So um, when, one day I discovered the, the manuscripts of Delsart and suddenly, wow, it was like... Uh, it was like thunder and storms. Suddenly, uh, I could find um, a profound link between the two techniques. And more than that, uh, I could find a lot of information that could, in fact, fill the holes that Alexander had uh, left in his books. Suddenly, everything started to make sense. I started to have an idea, a very much clearer idea of what was the, what I call the initial Alexander technique, because I consider that there are two Alexander techniques. One that Alexander used for himself from 1893 till around 1915, mm -hmm. and another one that started after 18, 1915, and what I call the modern Alexander Technique. And when I said that I study the books, I've been studying uh, the, the different revision that Alexander has made in his own books. For example, when you read Man's Supreme Inheritance, you read the 1946 edition. It's the fifth revision. So Alexander didn't write a book and publish it. No, he wrote a book, then rewrote it, then changed it, then changed it some more. And in the end, what you get is like a mix of the two, uh, two opposing theories, really. So that's why uh, it was so important for me to discover the link between uh, Alexander and the original Delsart system. You have to make very clear that I will not be talking about Delsartism, the books that, uh, what we call the cookbooks, 
when the the Delsart uh, system w was really, uh, in fact, uh, exported to the U.S., to the United States of America. And uh, people there made, um, made it out so famous, but in a way, they dismantled the original idea that was quite complex and involved. So that's my uh, interest in it. Right. So, and... And you, as part of your research, you discovered what I would consider a very amazing, improbable connection between Alexander and Del Sartre's, uh, I believe, younger brother, or yeah. possible connection. It's a possible connection, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, because at first, um, well, I, I couldn't understand how um, two people living so far away from one another because I'm sure that Delsart never left France and uh, in fact uh, Alexander didn't speak French he didn't went near any French people so it was impossible it was like a mystery I said well like a, an, an enormous coincidence how could it be that these two people could write about uh, theories that were so new at, uh, without knowing each other so it didn't make any sense. It was like a, a, an amazing coincidence. But then, yes, I found a possible connection. Mr. Del Sarte um, was um, a teacher in the Royal College of Music in Paris for nearly 35 years. He had many, many students. And one of these students is very interesting. It's his own brother. Because everybody uh, knows that uh, Del Sartre had a brother we call Auguste Del Sartre because he's been, uh, well, interviewed by uh, a few American people and uh, he's been, he's given lessons in the States. So everybody knows about Gustave Del Sartre. But he had another brother, a younger one, called Camille Del Sartre. And uh, this one uh, did the Del Sartre system training in the Royal College in France, but then he disappeared. He disappeared. We, we couldn't put him anywhere. Until the day when I found, in fact, in uh, Australia, uh, an academic that told me that uh, he had heard the name, but not uh, Auguste. It was a Camille something. And so I started to investigate and I found his obituary. The, this gentleman, Camille Delsar, that was, that was born in 1817 and died in uh, 1878, in fact, uh, emigrated and to, to Tasmania. <laughs> it's amazing. That is astonishing, because, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's incredible. And so he immigrated there and he lived for 24 years down, down, down under. And um, he, he lived in Hobart and he taught in Hobart. He was a very, very success, successful teacher in, the, in Tasmania. He, he taught uh, dramatic, he taught uh, uh, singing, he taught music, and he was very, very famous. So uh, there is something that... Um, uh, exist is that um, Alexander's wife, his first wife, was in fact at uh, um, a first marriage with a young with a man, a, a pianist called Mr. Young. 
And so this Mr. Young and Medi met Alexander when Alexander was 17, only 17. And um, he met them because they were both, he and his wife, were touring Tasmania and presenting plays, uh, Shakespeare plays. So Alexander straight away was uh, in love with both of them. And uh, it's quite possible because Miss Edith Young, later Edith Alexander, had um, uh, a wealth, wealthy parents. It's very, very possible, like she, she was living in Hobbit, that she had lessons with uh, Camille Delsartre. So that's my... It, I couldn't find any traces of these lessons, but it's sure that Alexander, being a Tasmanian himself, could not ignore the, this uh, enormous figure at the time that was Camille Delsart. The second link that I found is that um, when um, Alexander went to Australia, to Melbourne, in the 1896, and started his first practice. First, he, in fact, he spent a lot of money doing uh, what he liked, going to uh, theater and seeing uh, actors, and uh, he reported himself that he saw there a very, very well-known French actress called Sarah Bernhardt. And uh, this French actress, at the same time, is the the most well-known student of François Delsart. She was uh, she was like the 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 publicity for Delsart around the world. And uh, Alexander is uh, reported that uh, he went to every one of his uh, plays of her plays. So I can imagine that Melbourne was quite a great city, a big city at the time. But uh, the people very interested in the, in theatre in 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 plays were well a small group, and all these people may have had lesson with Camille Delsart. So all the Delsart people in Australia would have been in that, in that play. So that solved the problem or mystery that, uh, um, that was uh, still there for me. It's like when Alexander started his practice in Melbourne, he advertised his, himself as a Delsart teacher. Uh, I wondered if that was true or not. Because we all know that Alexander was very good at creating a myth around himself, mm -hmm. not always telling the truth. So that was also something that I had to, well, assess. And so um, my idea now is very clear. It is impossible that Alexander had been a fraud on that subject for the simple reason that uh, Mr. Camille Delsart had given 10 years of lesson in Australia, including Melbourne. So if Alexander was not a true Delsart teacher, well, he, he would have been exposed. It was, uh, it was um, at the time, exposing people was like, um, was like a game. It, was, it went on everywhere in the state, in, in Australia. So Alexander was a true Delsart teacher. And I've got proof 
that he was certainly the best one. Right. Because, yeah. oh yeah. From, from that image in uh, the Articles and Letters book, right? Yeah. Yeah. That that's was the starting point. Yeah. yeah. But and why is he the best teacher of the Del Sartre system? Well, that, that then is because I studied the, the writings of both men. And uh, I've never encountered uh, an author that was as good as Alexander to understand and use the Del Sartre ideas. He was fantastic for that. He was it's incredible. I think that nowadays, if somebody is interested in the Del Sartre system, in the Del Sartre practice, which has completely disappeared, there is only one way. It's to really study F.M. Alexander because he's the guy that is, uh, in fact, has resuscitated the Del Sartre system. Wow. Well, that, that's, a, that's a very interesting take on things. And I think that um, we're going to do a second podcast about some of the specific connections between Alexander's writings and teachings and Del Sartre's ideas. And, yeah. and I, know that, I know you've got some interesting ideas about that as well. But I'd like to just ask you this. It seems to me that the, 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 the myth of Alexander, as you so nicely put it, generally posits that he worked more or less entirely on his own without any outside help. And I think this is a perfect example of that myth not being true, but I think just generally it's probably um, useful to understand that Alexander was, while he may have been in an obscure outpost of the British Empire, he was not disconnected from other things that were going on. Well, certainly not. May I um, add something? Because sure. um, um, it's not totally untrue that he worked on his own. Because uh, it's part of the Del Sartre system that uh, you are your own uh, governor. You, you, you are solving your own problems. In the Del Sartre system, there is nothing like the, the hands-on uh, system that the modern Alexander Technique is using nowadays. In the Del Sartre system, uh, you are, in fact, proposed uh, a way to code the movement of the different parts of your organism and... Uh, when you understand the coding, then you are on your own in front of a few mirrors. That's uh, the mirrors, you know. Of course, the mirrors, they come from the Del Sartre system. But uh, it doesn't mean that Alexander was working with someone else when he solved his own problems. He used the Del Sartre system. I think he used the action coding system of Del Sartre very well with his mirrors that were, of course, part of the Del Sartre uh, teaching. But um, it's not to say that someone, in fact, uh, um, produced the change in Alexander. He produced it himself. You understand that? Yes, absolutely. It's, yeah. it's very important to make the difference 
Because otherwise, you may think that Alexander didn't invent anything or didn't do anything, which is, uh, which is absolutely not true. Well, w- would you say that what he did, and this may be pr- belong a little more to our second podcast, but what he did was create a way of transmitting Del Sartre's ideas to other people as a teaching method. Well, uh, the answer is yes and no, I will explain. Um, First of all, for the first 16 years of his teaching, he certainly did exactly what you said. He transmitted, in fact, he invented uh, a way to transmit the Del Sartre system until he discovered that uh, there was a problem that his uh, pupils were not as uh, successful as he was. Then he started to resort to Anzon more and more, and uh, as he said himself, to do the change for the pupil instead of teaching the pupil to do the change. So, uh, yes, he did, uh, in fact, how could I say that? Save the Del Sartre system from oblivion because um, he, he was able really for the first 16 years uh, when it was the original Alexander Technique, he was able to help people to change. And by the way, the greatest minds that were attracted to the technique were attracted before 1920. Uh, like uh, Bernard Shaw or John Dewey, all these people were, in fact, amazed by this capacity he had to transmit through instructions only uh, a way to completely change the direction of the use of the self, to completely change, in fact, the the mind of the person that was uh, working. After that, when uh, Alexander started to use Anzon more and more, the Del Sartre system disappeared. And it's very clear in the, when you read the, the different revisions of his books that more and more he starts to, in fact, go for uh, the marketing way. He starts, he's trying to sell himself, in fact, and he found that um, the... The principle of free expression had won the day. Because there is something you must understand on the position of uh, Del Sartre in the pedagogical world. When Del Sartre started his system, he, in fact, um, was against what was called uh, the rigid convention principle. It was the do as you're told. You were not supposed to discuss anything you learned. You were supposed to apply everything, you know. And at that moment, there was like uh, the start, the beginning of uh, a revolution, and it was called free expression. People started to have the idea that... uh, the ancient way of teaching was too restrictive and that people should open themselves to, uh, to feeling, to, to what they feel. So instead of do as you're told, people would, uh, would start to think, well, it's, it's more like uh, I want to do as I feel like to do. 
And Delsart was the first one to, in fact, uh, refuse both ways. That is very important to understand. And he, he, in fact, he dreamed another, a third way, which is called the conscious guidance way. In, instead of uh, doing as you're told according to what you feel or to do according to what you feel, he found in both situations the same problem. Human beings are not capable of using instinct, of using feelings, of using intuition. Every time uh, for del Sartre, this leads, this, uh, leads to uh, very, very bad habits, very poor use. So he had this idea that he, it was necessary to introduce a new guidance but it's not a guidance of the body. It's a guidance of the mind. Mm -hmm. he, and did he, he use said, the well, word, did he use the word guidance and control, that phrase? Yes. Which yes. Alexander oh, yeah. pretty much. Very much so. Yeah. Wow. I, yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. Um, what, what I think would be really a, a good idea would be maybe to bring this conversation to an end and start a new one for a second interview because I think we've covered the historical yeah. connections and I, I think yeah. I think we it might be good to have a second interview where we um, talk about a little more what you've just been talking about and some of the other connections between Alexander's writings and teachings and Del Sartre some differences some parallels is that okay yeah okay oh yeah perfect so uh, I'm going to end, we'll, we'll end this one. Uh, my, my guest uh, today has been Jondo Massoero, uh, an Alexander Technique teacher, teacher in Montpellier, France. That's in the south of France. And uh, this is the first of what I believe will be a two-part series on Delsart and Alexander. Uh, Jondo, thank you so much for being on the show.